Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scores and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great as this new year gets going. I'm going to talk about a lot of the history that's going to be made here in the year 2022 and also throw out a full few, you know, reasonably mild predictions about what's going to transpire over the course of the year. When I say that, you know, what's going to be important historically in 2022, I mean that in a neutral sense. Hugely impactful decisions and events are going to unfold this year with very profound ramifications for the fate of American democracy and American society and for humanity's climate future. Things can go horribly wrong this year or great progress can be made. And so when I say 2022 will be historic, I don't know in which direction. I just know it's going to be historic either way. And I want to outline the areas to really watch closely. I want to be clear as we begin here that there are literally dozens of important issues in America and of course the world, immigration, education, healthcare, police reform, racism, you know, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'm going to focus on the ones that I think carry the most existential risk for American society and for humanity as a whole if things don't go the right way in 2022. Uh, of course, I don't have a crystal ball here. Um, there's a lot of unpredictability in the world, so I'm just going to make an educated, rational kind of guesstimate at where things are heading. And then the nice thing about making a public record of it is we can come back and see, you know, a year from now how what I said fared. You know, going back in time, the stuff that I talked about in the lead up to the 2020 election bore out almost exactly how I said it. I wrote an article that I posted on LinkedIn, sent to my whole community, talked about it on the podcast, about the fascist coup that was about to uh, commence uh, after the election. And it really went almost exactly how I thought it would. Of course, I didn't predict January 6th and the riot at the Capitol, but the basic outlines I got pretty uh, accurately. So, so far my predictions have been pretty accurate. We'll see if they continue to hold up. Um, you know, I want to start with the work of the January 6th committee and the potential prosecutions of Trump and his inner circle. In my view, this is probably the most important issue to follow because Trump and his enablers carried out a failed coup attempt. The evidence is overwhelming that they tried hard to overturn a free and fair election, and were even willing to use violence. And this was the first time there had been a non-peaceful transfer of power in U.S. history. This is a big fucking deal to initiate a coup. And as of now, he's sitting around, still spreading lies and his fascist evil nonsense, and playing golf when justice says he should be locked up in prison for life. Multiple reports 
have, have um, indicated that Trump was gleeful during the insurrection and very, very reluctant to do anything to stop it. And just as a reminder, when he finally came on hours later, after most of the chaos was done, he did a very lukewarm condemnation and even said, I love you all to the people who had just beaten policemen and ransacked the Capitol. This is treasonous conduct, period, end of story, no discussion, no debate. In a sane society, former President Trump would be tried for sedition, insurrection, and treason and executed. I am generally opposed to the death penalty, but in this case, where a sitting president not only incited a violent riot, but drew pleasure from it and didn't try to stop it, is a clear case for the strongest punishment possible. Now, of course, there is no chance that this will happen in the U.S. because, um, you know, Trump and his inner circle are, you know, impervious from any of those serious uh, charges, at least to date. And the issue is, if they get away with this crime and they don't face any accountability at all, let alone what they deserve, which is the death penalty, there is no longer rule of law in this country, and the right wing will feel emboldened to try again in the near future. I also just want to be clear here, because what I'm saying is quite strong. If a Democratic president, you know, if President Obama, which of course he wouldn't have, had incited a riot and sat in the Oval Office gleeful eating popcorn while people rioted in the Capitol and beat police officers, I would be calling for the strongest punishment for him. This isn't a partisan thing. In fact, nothing I say is partisan in the sense that, again, I don't care about the tribal teams. I care about facts and reality. And again, the punishment for treason and insurrection should be the death penalty, right? Jefferson Davis and the, you know, and the, the seditionists in the Civil War should have been tried and executed. And let's think about it. The fact that they weren't, that they received basically no punishment. And in fact, they were welcomed in back into polite society and venerated and statues erected to them. What did that do? It led to another century plus of terrorism against black people and, and this whole lost cause bullshit narrative in the South that we're still living with 150 years later, right? So the point is, if you don't hold people to account, the madness never ends. And I think the Civil War is a perfect example. If the North had executed the, 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 the Southern generals and said, you guys are traitors and treasonous, not necessarily executed all the troops, but the ringleaders, you know, and the people at the top executed them and, and no monuments, execution. I don't think we'd be in, the miracle would not be that, you know, we wouldn't be dealing with the legacy of white supremacy as we are today. I'm not saying racism would have disappeared but it wouldn't be as strong as it is. It's the fact is we let them get away with it and in fact celebrated them. Now, of course, it's not just the Civil War, right? American history is littered with political elites getting away with crimes. And, you know, everyone from Reagan to Bush to Nixon, right? People have just been committing very high level crimes throughout our history and just getting away with it. And so there's little precedent for Trump and his inner circle to be held to account. And I'm just hoping and hoping and hoping that we finally break the cycle and that this is so egregious and we have so much evidence and everyone could see it, you know, in real time on their TVs 
that he will be held to account. If Trump is indicted and convicted, this will be the first time in American history that a president is held to account for his crimes. And it will be a strong signal to the right wing that they are not above the law. Now, of course, there are some right wing nutjobs who will take that as, hey, you know, they went after Trump. We got to go and fight the left. And, and look, that's always, you know, this is, there are no riskless options here. But I think the risk of emboldening the right wing and letting them get away with literally murder is way worse than um, generating their ire from holding Trump to account. If Trump gets away with this criminality, this just blatant treasonous conduct, it will be the final nail in the coffin, showing that no matter what, political elites, particularly white men, will get away with murder and anything in America. That There is nothing, literally nothing they can do that they uh, will be held to account for. And again, there is nothing more corrosive to the rule of law and social cohesion than something this corrupt of this magnitude. So this is the issue I'm watching most intently. On that note, I want to speak a little about the framing from the January 6th committee. There is a lot of commentary floating around in the punditry class about how bad the Dems are at messaging. And so far, actually, the committee has been pretty good. Most of their press releases, press conferences have been great, on point. And Liz Cheney has been particularly good. Again, you know what? I'm in the reality-based community. And as much as I despise a lot about Liz Cheney, on this issue, she has been rock solid and awesome. And someone as hardcore as her, you know, a hardcore conservative like her, a hardcore right-winger like her, to be on this committee giving it that bipartisan you know, cred is just, it's huge. And I, I have to give her huge props for that. She was the only sitting House Republican to come to the commemorations on January 6th. She was joined by her father, Dick Cheney, who is a complete villain and monster. But again, you know what? If he's willing to stand up and protect democracy, I'll take it. We got to take whatever we can get. And just, again, remember that. The only two Republicans who came to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the Capitol being ransacked was Liz and Dick Cheney. I mean, that basically tells you everything you need to know about the modern Republican Party. Now, the January 6th committee is planning public primetime hearings uh, in the coming months, and I think these are going to be very effective, and I'm looking forward to at least watching clips and reading about it, as I'm not going to you know, watch hours of this stuff. However, I want to make one critique. Sometimes when they talk about Trump, it's in a roundabout way that is not the type of direct offense and accurate language that I think should be employed about the former president. So I know here I'm playing armchair quarterback, but imagine if instead of the of tiptoeing around what they're doing on this committee with Trump, they said something like this. Our job is to obtain as much evidence as we can detailing Trump's impeachable, corrupt, and unethical conduct leading up to January 6th to document once again that this man is a contemptible menace who is completely unfit for any position of responsibility, let alone the President of the United States. We will provide the public with reams of evidence of his depraved and seditionist behavior, and then it will be up to the Justice Department to determine which elements carry with them criminal penalties. Right, that's the type of strong, unambiguous language I want to start hearing. Right, they need to drop the hammer on this motherfucker and not relent. Now, obviously, the final call 
uh, for whether to prosecute Trump or not is going to come from Garland and the DOJ, right? And this is going to be historic. Again, whatever decision he makes, if he makes the right decision to prosecute Trump and his cabal, that will be incredibly historic in a positive direction. If he lets him off, he will be, it will be a tragedy, but also of historic proportions. Hopefully, Garland will step up and do the right thing. And finally, for the first time in our history, we will see political elites held to account and justice served. So more after the break. Justice is indivisible. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We won't relent. We will fight until the end. We have been sent to protect and to defend. Okay. So the second major historic issue that is going to be at least partially determined in 2022 is the issue of voting rights and voter suppression and, you know, democratic legitimacy, right? At the same time that the Republican Party has gone full-on fascist death cult, they are working overtime at the state level to not only suppress voting rights, but to gerrymander like crazy and making a mockery of anything resembling democracy in many states, and also passing laws that would allow them to overturn the will of the people and carry out a coup next time that might be successful in 2024. This onslaught against democracy and sanity must be met with an adequate response by the Democrats. The problem is, as many of you know, is that with the filibuster in place, passing voting rights bills is next to impossible. And it looks unlikely that Manchin and Cinema will vote to change those rules. So this means that unless some major breakthroughs occur, there will be no voting rights legislation passed in this year, setting up 2022 and 24 to be full of master, massive voter suppression by the fascists um, in you know many, if not all, of the uh, Republican-led states. I want to make a couple key points on this, since there has been some pushback from some of the conservative never-Trumpers, like those on the Bulwark podcast, which I highly recommend, and even David Brooks of the New York Times, who's largely a tool, but has, you know, has a few decent things to say every now and then. And they're making the case that the Democrats are missing the point on voting rights. They point to evidence that voter suppression bills do not have major impacts on, on voting and voter turnout. And that the real threat to democracy is that states will override democratic majorities in presidential elections. There is talk of reforming the Electoral Count Act, um, and this would actually make it um, illegal and prevent states from overriding the will of the electorate. And so I just want to first give a shout out to these conservatives and say I'm glad they're paying attention to the issues. And they're absolutely right that we do need to reform the Electoral Count Act. Um, these conservatives are pushing this, and I, my first question to them, though, again, kind of rhetorically, is are there 10 Republicans who would vote for it? Because, again, without changing the filibuster, we'd need 10 Republican senators to vote for this. 
And, you know, they're saying the Democrats should focus all of their efforts on this. And it's really not the voting rights stuff. It's just, hey, it's once the votes are counted, we want to make sure Republican-led states can't overturn the will of the people. Now, again, I think most of these conservative never-Trumpers are acting in reasonably good faith. But I think here they're missing the bigger picture. And so far, the Dems have pushed back on this strategy, which, by the way, Mitch McConnell seems to be itching towards. I think he wants to prevent any chance of filibuster reform and real voting rights legislation. So he's making a little noise like, hey, maybe we could go along with this electoral count reform. First off, I want to say electoral count reform doesn't matter if the impacts of voter suppression are sufficient enough, right, to make it that you can steal an election by suppression. Remember, election margins in America at the state level are very, very small. And I haven't seen any of these conservatives note this, right? It would have taken just 43,000 votes across a few key states, and Trump would have been reelected legitimately. He would be in his second term legitimately, despite losing the popular vote by more than 7 million. So when these conservatives are saying, hey, voter suppression bills, it's kind of small, it's small stuff, it's not a lot of votes, focus on them overturning the will of the electorate. Well, no, right? When it's 43,000 votes, it was between Trump being legitimately elected as a traitor, seditionist, killing hundreds of thousands of people with a horrible COVID response, and literally, you know, a, a tiny fraction of votes could have changed that. It doesn't matter that the impacts are small. The impact should be zero. We, we just cannot afford to give up votes to voter suppression. And for many Senate races, it's the same. Key Senate races that can, you know, that can result in the control of the Senate can be decided by a few thousand or tens of thousands of votes, right? So these, these small impacts matter. And the facts contradict these conservatives who are saying, you know, hey, don't worry about it, right? And of course, while it's true that most people who want to vote do vote, and even that voter suppression tactics sometimes backfire and get people more you know, determined to vote, on the margin, voter suppression still does what it's meant to do, which is suppress votes. They wouldn't be going out of their way to pass hundreds of voter suppression bills if they didn't actually work. And they do. And American elections are a game of inches. And we just simply cannot afford to give up any inches, right? So again, clearly there are some Republicans who would love to show that at least they would like to pay lip service to democracy by passing some small reforms to block a coup, right, while doing nothing to stop the massive voter suppression efforts. But Dems should not play along just yet. I think they must do everything they can to get the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed, along with the reform of the Electoral Count Act. Now, there is a tiny, tiny chance they can do this. And um, an even greater chance that they get nothing done. And we go into 2022 and 24 with both massive voter suppression enacted and fascist Republican states ready to steal the election, no matter what the votes actually are. Right? This is why, along with the prosecution of the former president and his cabal, this issue is really going to determine the fate of the American project. Despite America being a fake pseudo-democracy in many ways, the little bit of real democracy we have is now in serious jeopardy. And if things break badly in 2022, America could be a fascist state within a few years and perhaps never recover. The stakes couldn't be higher. 
So again, I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but just trying to lay out the facts and why, you know, election issues are going to be historic in 2022. Before we um, take another break, I want to talk about the, the final major issue. So there's three major issues that I'm looking at that will be historic this year, and that is the fate of the Democrats' Build Back Better bill. As many of you know, Senator Manchin of West Virginia effectively killed the version of the bill that the Democrats have been working on for you know six to eight months right before Christmas. He put a nice lump of coal in the Christmas stocking, leaving Democrats wondering if anything is going to get passed. The major climate provisions in the Build Back Better bill were about $550 billion over 10 years. This is what I am most concerned about. This may be the last chance to pass major climate policy in a long, long time. And with the clock running out, this has just got to happen. If it doesn't, not only will America miss its climate targets, but it will basically lose almost all of its international credibility. The climate emergency is about to get much, much worse. I will have some podcasts on that. Uh, you know, in the coming months. And we need big, bold government policy to help humanity get a fighting chance. And $550 billion is a serious commitment. It's more than America has ever done, and it would be a great victory. So this is the most important non-election kind of Trump crime-related issue that the Dems have to deal with this year. If they don't, the consequences will be disastrous. So, If the Democrats can pass some election and voting reform, it's a great year and we'll have something to celebrate. If they can do that and pass a version of the Build Back Better, it's a super great year and we'll have something to celebrate. And if they do that and Merrick Garland prosecutes Trump, well, well, that's just the trifecta and it's just celebrate, you know, like it's you've never celebrated before. So after the break, I'm going to come back with some other kind of general predictions about some macro stuff that's going to happen in 2022. Okay, so I had a request to make some predictions for 2022. And, uh, you know, in addition to the the stuff I just laid out, we can revisit this 12 months from now and see how I did. So part one, the Supreme Court will invalidate Biden's vaccine mandate and overturn Roe versus Wade. Those are two predictions. The right wing nut jobs on the court are emboldened now that they have a six member And being that they are unelected and unaccountable, they're going to show their true colors, which is that they are right-wing hacks and extremists who don't give a shit about the rule of law or the Constitution. Just as some examples of this, in the vaccine case that was just argued recently, Chief Justice Roberts complained that the law that Biden is relying on to justify the vaccine mandate is too old. Think about that. This is from the people who are supposed to be originalists and who say we shouldn't do anything that wasn't as intended when the Constitution was written over 200 years ago. And now he's saying that a law that's 50 years old about public health is too old, and why should we pay attention to it? 
So again, no consistency, no principle, just hackery. And during that same hearing, Justice Gorsuch said that the flu kills hundreds of thousands of people a year. Wrong. It does not. The most the flu has ever killed in America in the last decade is, you know, in upwards of tens of thousands. He was off by an order of magnitude. He gets his statistics from right-wing lies and, you know, Fox News. And again, this is a major figure in American politics. A justice on the Supreme Court doesn't even have basic facts that you could Google and find out in 30 seconds, right? These people are just fucking partisan hacks and obscene. And as a reminder, in the abortion case that I think is going to lead to the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the handmaid, Amy Coney Barrett, said that since women can give kids up for adoption, forcing them to give birth is no big deal, right? I mean, this is just religious theocracy, extremist shit. And again, there's nobody bats an eye. It's just, hey, the right wing nut jobs doing what they do, right? These are not serious people. These are the type of right wing hack you'd find in any, you know, college Republican debating team, right? There's no principle. They're just out there to try to win power at all costs. I didn't even, of course, even mention, you know, I mean, Alito and Thomas, who are just the lowest of the low. I mean, these are people that, you know, my 10-year-old nephew could win an argument with because they're just so intellectually weak and so just out of their league. But again, these are the people who get the last word at this juncture in American history on our laws. So moving on from that cheery news, uh, I think the economy is going to be a relatively good bright spot in 2022. And then inflation will ease significantly in the next six months. We're already starting to see this. It's relatively warmer weather. Again, a product of climate emergency and not great, but that's reducing pressure on oil and gas demand, which is good for you know prices. I think the Biden administration cracking down on what they see as some kind of the price fixing, which I do think explains some of the inflation, um, is a good good thing. It will get companies on edge to maybe ease up a little. I think as you know, as Omicron you know starts to hopefully ease in the coming months, people will go back to you know services and spend money on restaurants and dining and movies and travel, and ease up on the demand for kind of, you know, cars and refrigerators and durable goods. This could set up the Democrats nicely for the midterm elections, right? If the summer is relatively, economy's chugging along, inflation's moderated, that's going to be a good, you know, a good few months lead up to November. And on the midterms, I predict that if the economy is going strong and inflation has been muted, it might not be, you know, Back down to 2%, but if it's at, say, 3%, 4%, not the 6 or 7 uh, I think the Democrats might be able to hold the House and pick up seats in the Senate. This goes against the conventional wisdom that the Democrats are about to be destroyed. But as the you know newest redistricting maps are showing, the Republicans are really using their anti-democratic capital to hold on to states where the demographics are moving against them, and this is limiting their gains. Right now, of course, this is horrible. This means states like Texas, Ohio, Florida, and Georgia, the the Republican fascists are going to enshrine white supremacy for at least another decade. So they're going to have 60, 70%, 80% of all the state legislature and congressional seats, even though they barely have a majority and maybe even are losing that. So it's just, again, it just makes a mockery of justice and democracy and fairness and shows what a joke this country ultimately is. But you know, 
It also shows that the Democrats, if they go on offense and if they get a few lucky breaks with a strong economy, easing pandemic, I think they could do pretty good. Also, just remember, this horrible gerrymandering is because of the right wing nut jobs on the court. They allowed this, right? There was a case that said, let's make gerrymandering unconstitutional. We have a nice, simple formula that the justices can use to say this should be the national standard to prevent gerrymandering. And they said no. All the liberals said yes. All the right wing nut jobs said no because they hate democracy and they will continue to undermine it and destroy it. They want theocracy and white supremacy and plutocracy, not the rule of the people and not the rule of the majority. So it is up to Democrats to protect and expand their majorities. I don't have a lot more to say about the pandemic, only again that I hope the Omicron wave is the last major wave and that maybe the pandemic can really come to an end you know, by the end of this year and obviously hopefully by the, the midterms so that it corresponds with some good electoral outcomes. But, you know, with so many anti-vax zombies out there and the court ready to strike down the federal vaccine mandates, who knows? Maybe it just mutates again and this it just keeps on going and going because that's just the country we are. Um, anyway, those are my predictions and my things to watch. And I'll come back with the antidote right after the break. All right, everybody. So the antidote for today. I know a lot of people on the left have stopped paying attention a lot to politics, you know, over the last year after Biden won. And I want to say that's totally understandable. Not everybody's a political junkie. A lot of people put effort into getting Trump defeated and they were exhausted after four years of death and destruction and, you know, needed a break. And I I get it. But I want to ask you all to get back in the game and to urge other progressives to as well. The fascists are not slowing down, and they're counting on our exhaustion and inattention to destroy America. They are literally trying to destroy America, right? This is not hyperbole. I'm not being facetious. They're trying to instill minority rule, take away the rule of law, and let violence and intimidation and gerrymandering and voter suppression, you know, allow them to maintain power. And what are they going to do with that power? They're going to oppress women, oppress minorities. They're going to get into massive crony capitalism corruption, reward the fossil fuel industry, reward the worst polluters, right? Reward racist police agencies, prevent reform on all the key issues, right? So this is existential stuff, right? They want to destroy the common good and promote white supremacy and kleptocracy at all costs. And given the climate emergency, and the ongoing threat of pandemics, if we go down this road and we have a weak administrative state run by a fascist death cult minority, the, you know, we're going to, we're going to be in bad shape and this country is going to fray and I think ultimately fall apart. So again, 
Even if you wanted to take a break, please get back in the game and urge your friends, family, and colleagues to as well because the stakes couldn't be higher. And to get you kind of ramped back up and your head back in the game, I ask you that you listen to Biden's January 6th speech in full and then follow it up with Merrick Garland's speech the day before uh, about you know the ongoing prosecutions of the, the insurrectionists. I will put those in the show notes. I think seeing that we have such strong public servants leading the charge here, you know, it should give us some motivation to do our part. And what I mean by that is make sure you're voting, getting other people to vote, donating to progressive and democratic causes, registering voters. You know, again, you don't have to be a martyr here, but just be prepared to do a little extra, you know, in these next uh, election cycles so that we can maintain at least a little bit of democracy that we have and get some more progressive stuff passed. Because without that, we're in really, really bad shape. So on that note, everybody, again, I hope you're uh, enjoying the podcast. Please rate it, share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, everybody, stay safe, be well, take care. (laughs) 